The following program contains discussion of content some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're watching The Shawshank Redemption. Ooh. That's right, it's a... Need a chain, like, just sort of shank somewhere. Yeah, yeah, just just some shaking chains, (laughs) some some prison-y sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Sharpened knives made from toothbrushes. Yeah. Uh, sadly, we don't have any of that, uh, but we do have the film to watch and two guests one who has seen the film and one who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, back for the second episode in a row. What? It's Katrina Johnston. Hey, Stephen. How you doing? Uh, slightly better, so you, you listeners won't have to hear too much coughing. You do sound a lot better, Thank so uh, that's lovely. You've not seen The Shawshank Redemption? No, um, we just, like I was surprised about how recent the film is. I think it's just my parents weren't really into it or something, or didn't want to watch it, so I never, never saw it. And my older siblings weren't really into it, so I never, yeah, never saw it. What do you know about the film? Uh, I know some of the memes. I I know there's a lot of Morgan Freeman narrating. I I know there's there's an escape, mm-hmm. uh, and I th- I'm pretty sure it's set in the 30s. Uh, and that's about it. Well, someone who might be able to tell you how right or wrong you are is our guest who has seen the film, David Cox, everybody! Hello, it's me. It is. It's lovely to see you, David. Um, Thank you. How how have things been with you uh, in the last few months? Uh, Good. Um, I'm recovering from a cold, so hopefully there won't be much coughing this episode. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed. It's that time of year, guys. Yeah, Yeah, it's terrible. Sorry, Um, listeners. Those lucky northern hemispheres, you know. <laughs> Nothing bad is happening in the northern hemisphere. No. Just having a great summer and nothing to be concerned about. No. And also, I believe some congratulations are in order. Oh, yeah, I got engaged, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> engaged. And you, d- I ask you before we start, I'm like, what's up with you, Dave? And what? you're like, oh, I got a job, blah, blah, blah. And you don't tell me that. <laughs> Uh, it was more than a month ago, so I assume that everyone knows. Um, yeah, I've been wedding planning. Mm. It's yeah. um, it's 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 a lot, isn't it? I, I say as a fellow engaged person. Yeah, it is a mm. fair bit. Um, yeah. Have you got a date set? Nope. I have. Oh, I'm well, gonna beat you. You are gonna beat me. I'm gonna me. beat you. I'm uh, gonna have the best wedding ever. <laughs> oh, uh, we'll see. That's what weddings are all about: competition. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I've I've I worked for five years. Filming weddings, and I'm also a wedding photographer. I have seen so many weddings, 
and I know exactly what I don't want. <laughs> That's a good point. You are probably going to have a better wedding than me. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, uh, just on research alone. Uh, David, you have seen The Shawshank Redemption in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way. Um, what, what can uh, people who haven't seen this film be expecting? I mean, well, Morgan Freeman, and I can't remember how prevalent it is, but it has stuck with my mind because I watched this film like quite some time ago. Um... A rapey character. Is Morgan Ooh, Freeman a rapey character? No, Morgan Freeman's a nice one. Okay. But, you know, it's a prison, so expect Stopping some of the, the prisoners soap? to be dicks. Mm. Just, who knew that these, like, criminals in prison for, like, maximum security or whatever, some of them are assholes. Mm. Well, with all that being said, shall we watch The Shawshank Redemption? Yes, let's go watch it. <laughs> okay, for those of you uh, watching at home, pop in your DVDs and prepare to crawl through a mile of shit as we watch The Shawshank Redemption. Hey, Cinema Catch-Up Club fans. Are you, by any chance, a fan of the world game, of football, of soccer? Well... We have a podcast just for you. That's right, Thoughtchart Productions is bringing out its very own football podcast, and it's called The Funny Old Game. Join me and my two special guests, Ryan Fitzgerald and Tommy Dolman, each and every week as we discuss everything that's happening in the world of football. For more information, visit thoughtchartproductions.com or visit our Facebook pages. You can search for The Funny Old Game or Thought Jar Productions and follow the links there. And now, back to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. And that was the last time I saw Andy Dufresne. Welcome back, everybody, (laughs) to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Uh, can't do a Morgan Freeman impression, so you're just getting my voice instead. Uh, and also the voices of Katrina Johnston. Hello. And David Cox. Hello. So, Katrina, that was your first time watching Shawshank. What did you think? Um, at first I was like, oh, this is going to be really slow and boring. But by the end of it, I was like, oh, it's it's kind of sweet and uplifting, particularly for a prison film, which nowadays, um, like... Prison films now, or prison shows now, are so gritty and dark and, yeah, whereas this was kind of sanitised, I guess. It's an interesting one because this film has its many gritty, dark moments, but I think it's maybe there's that that very specific framing of uh, hope Mm. uh, or um, triumph over adversity, I guess, which you don't always get with, with prison films or prison dramas, I, I would say. Um, because, mm-hmm. I mean, this this film is dark in a lot of ways. But but at the same time, yeah, I'm thinking back and I find myself drawn to going, oh, I really love that friendship between Red and Andy, as opposed to, boy, that was awful when he was beaten and raped by that gang of um, bull queers or whatever term the they were using. The yes. sisters, yeah. So I, I think it's maybe what we choose to recall, I guess. Yeah. Um, David, what, you said it had been a long time since you'd last seen this film. How was it revisiting uh, Shawshank? It was good. It's one of those like films where it's been an appropriate amount of time to like revisit it mm. because 
I knew there are certain elements. It was like, okay, this sort of has to happen, but I couldn't remember, like, I couldn't fill in the dots. Yeah. There was the satisfaction of watching it all play out. Like, oh, 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 that's so cool. Because I hadn't actually seen this film, but I knew how it roughly went. And I think that's partly just because it's so saturated in popular culture, specifically around prison films. Mm. You know, I knew it was... um, there was the tunnel behind the poster. I knew that was coming. I was so surprised how long that took to be introduced because I was waiting for it. I was waiting for seeing a moment of him, you know, starting to carve out the rock or mm-hmm. something like that. But that wasn't until the last, what, 15 minutes of the show? Yeah. I actually, one of the things I think really stands out about this film, because my, my impression having now watched it for the first mm. time is, this is a pretty good film. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can see why people really like Shawshank and why it gets voted so high. It's a very well put together piece of film. What I really like is that you don't realise it's a prison break film until the prison break yeah. has happened. And I thought that was um, that was a really interesting way of, of looking at it. And I think also partly because of the story being told from the perspective of Red, mm. who had no idea that yeah. there was a prison break happening. I think it fits that perfectly where you've got, yeah, Red, who's as surprised as anyone when, yeah. when the prison break happens. So you have the story from his perspective it's it's really clever and it's a really it's a really nice way of telling that story yeah i feel a little cheated almost by by the stereotypes and the you know the part of pop culture that that has sort of been placed into that i wasn't uh, that i was waiting for it mm. for the prison break so now yeah i feel a little bit cheated out of that surprise now that you mention it because when this came out if you had no idea that it was a prison break yeah you wouldn't you'd be like what mm. there's there's a hole behind the poster. The film obviously stars uh, Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman in those lead roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should start on Tim uh, yeah. because... He, on a where is he now? Well, a little second. bit. It, he is someone that has not necessarily uh, popped up all that often uh, in the films we've done so far. Yeah. But obviously, you know, a very big name actor. Uh, 60 years old these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we, we were sitting there watching the film going... What happened to Tim Robbins after this? Um, he he won an Oscar after this. Oh, for Mystic River. That's what happened after this. That was oh, yes. that was a fair while after. Two thousand and three. Was... Yeah. Yeah. He got himself an Academy Award for that. So um... that iconic film we all know. Mm. Yeah. Look, hey, it look. Came, wasn't it one of those ones that came out when there was this big um, sort of revival of civil war films from America because it was around the time of like Cold Mountain. I can't. I don't even know if Mystic River is a civil war film because I haven't seen it. It uh, starts in 1975, so, so no, it's not. not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unless there's some time traveling Confederate soldiers yeah, that maybe. bust forward into the future to try and take back the the Union or whatever. Does it have some sense of American patriotism? Uh, it's it? directed by Clint Eastwood, so, so I'm going to say yeah, yes. Okay, yep, yep. Um, <laughs> but Tim Robbins is pretty yeah. good in this. He is. Uh, um, I, I, it's an interesting one looking at... In a lot of ways... I almost felt he was a bit too intense for for the role. Yeah, and it's it's kind of weird. Like it's a really good performance, uh, but there's there's particularly that conversation after he's been in solitary for so long. He he does feel as though, uh, and it is partly yeah. because he's he's acting unhinged. And to be honest, he probably is a bit unhinged. But th- there were yes. points where I was looking at it and kind of going, "Oh, he's a bit." I don't know if he's leaning into it too much. I feel or... I feel like he. Tim Robbins did a lot of work early on in the film 
or the editor did a lot of work early on in the film to sort of set it up because I was feeling, I agree with you, I was feeling he was a bit too intense in about the first 30 minutes of the film. Mm. But by the time we got to that crazy moment after he's um, gotten out of solitary, I was kind of, I was willing to believe it um, Mm. because I'm like, yeah, of course, you're going to be crazy because you're angry and you're not going to get out and someone's screwing you over royally and you're just done 19 years of prison time for something you know and now other people know you didn't do. Mm. Um, Because I feel like almost if you're in that sort of situation, if you don't know who's done that kind of crime that he's been accused of, you kind of start going, well, maybe I did do it. Maybe maybe I was just a little bit drunker than I thought I was and maybe I did do it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was ever any doubt that he did it because of the way it was presented at the start of the film, I think mm. it was very clear that whilst he had motive and needed that for him to go to prison, yeah. um, you also had to know that this was a you know a wronged person. And the fact is that he only started doing bad things once he'd been in prison and learned how to be a crook, like he said. No, see, I kind of felt that there was going to be some point, like even right up to, even though I knew that he hadn't done it because they'd discovered that someone else had, that letter that he left for Red, I was like, it was going to be like, by the way, I did kill my wife. Come join me down in Mexico. I think that would have undermined the entire point of the film had they done yeah, that, though. Potentially. Just like a nice, happy ending. Like, hey, you murder bros. And yeah. they embrace well, lovingly on the beach. Part of me kind of was expecting that. Mm. I, I don't know why, but I kind of knew that he had killed his wife. I think maybe that had just sort oh. of been implanted. Yeah. No, no, no I, I, like, I knew that that was the premise of the of what he was going to prison for mm. um and i was like for the first 10 minutes of the film i'm like please 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 do not find out that he's actually killed his wife but he just gets out of it and we have to feel nice about someone who's killed mm. a, a woman because i'm like in today's current uh political environment i don't think i can handle that no um and so we see we see andy dufresne um and we were watching this with subtitles i was not aware that's how you spelled dufresne oh no that does not seem to make sense to me yeah it's a french word yeah it's probably french i mean it could be yeah and you know what the french perfectly entitled to do what they want with their alphabet that's fine but having heard the name you know from the morgan freeman monologues of uh mr dufresne uh, Mm. did this and andy dufresne did that um the fact that he then has just this weird spelling was a little threw me off a little bit um one of the things i think this film did really well in those opening few minutes though was to showcase the prison system and showing this cold brutal world which he was being thrown into new fish new New fish fish. new fish well that's the thing you've got the they're called fish the, the, I, I, you know, it's prison parlance. I, you know, I'm sure as the prisoners call it themselves. Don't you know this is prison parlance? <laughs> we call the new boys fish because, um, but we, because we batter them up. Yeah, they're a bit wet. You know, it's kind of like fop about. I mean, they're definitely wet after they go through that uh, showering and yeah. delousing sequence. Yeah. Um, also, they're trying to reel them in to try and figure out who's the first one that's going to cry so they can win cigarettes. And I thought that was a really showing that side of the culture within the prison first, I thought was a really interesting yeah. way of introducing the viewer to where they were going to spend the next couple mm. of hours. The thing that I found interesting is that the sequence, I'm like, what are, What exactly are they betting on? I'm like, is it who is going to get <laughs> in the first night? I'm like, is it that? No, it's just someone who's going to cry. Yeah, the fact yeah, it was it crying. Was I, I, tame. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking it might be who was the first person that was going to 
like get into a fight or mm. like uh, you know trying to assert dominance or something yeah. like that that scene is such a good scene like, yeah. i mean it's more than one scene that that section is very very good mm. um for like introducing so many elements of character um who red is who the gang is mm. how they operate um but it's also um annie dufresne's save the cat moment um which there's a there's a screenwriting book called save the cat and the idea is that early on in the film you have to introduce some action from our protagonist mm. that makes you like them. Um, Such as that, saving a cat? Saving a cat. Right. Um, and that's the metaphor. That is the narrative framework in which you need to like work in. Mm. Um, and asking about the name of the, the fat guy who gets beaten to oh, death is his save the cat moment. Because before then, he was an angry drunk who got on trial for the murder of his wife. Um, and we know he didn't do it, but that's still not pleasant. Like there's, yeah. there's still like, and that's when we like really understand that he is actually an empathetic person, despite the fact that he is actually being kind of cold, quiet and insular mm. for the first few months. And I think it's important that they do show that because he's very withdrawn for the first month that he's in prison, which mm. I almost feel as though this film, um, was very much put together uh, and, and of course the original story it was based on as well yeah it was very much put together just to give people an idea that prison isn't all uh, gang fights and tattoos and and a lot of things that you see in in the way prison is depicted mm. in other media like the fact is is that people are scared justifiably in yeah. this case with Shawshank we see uh, uh, fat ass as he was called um, by by the other people in the prison literally get kicked to death by right. the captain of the guard yeah. um that's just horrifying but it also shows that 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 uh, camaraderie that then exists so that the prisoners can survive yeah uh, and it's not just with red and that you know we see it, it even though it was in a negative sense with with the sisters like they they clearly had a, a gang that was there and they yeah. were very much coming together to survive but that was more out of a um partly survival and mostly uh, vindictive sexual oppression. But it was still the way that they form these social coping mechanisms in, in what is a hard environment. It just kind of reminded me of um, a TV show, which I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, called uh, You Can't Ask That. Mm. And I think one of the, the very first season they did ex-cons. Mm. And they one of the interviewees they had was this woman who got sent to prison for fraud. And it just made me think of it because of how Andy Dufresne used his education to sort of get in with a um, with a crowd mm. and protection and things like that. She, because she was fairly educated, um, she helped all the other women in her prison um, fill out their parole applications mm. and things like that. And she got protection because she knew how to write and how mm. to phrase things and work the system that way. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's kind of interesting how yeah it does it does show that that nuance of the prison mm. system in essence. Well, and and the same thing happens to Andy in this film with mm. um with the fact that he's a he's a banker and a, a damn good yeah. one before he gets sent to prison. He knows uh, a lot about tax returns, and so he starts uh you know his expertise is starting to be sought out after he you know tr tells Hadley how he can keep all of the thirty five thousand dollars he got. Uh, without having to pay tax on it and that whole sequence where he ends up having this skill which makes him useful and essentially becomes this prison-based accountant i thought yeah. was, was fabulous 
one because it was you know it's funny seeing that juxtaposition uh, particularly when you've got visiting prison guards wearing baseball uniforms because they're there for like some yeah. inter-guard baseball match all there to do their tax returns um but also because i think it does reflect the fact that what happens whenever you get a group of people together in any form is they socialize they create a, they create a social their own society yeah they create their own societies their own structure that's already in place when we get to the prison when red's there talking mm. about you know he's the guy that can get you anything within reason and we see that if you've got a skill that is valued by other people even people who are in positions of power above you in this case the yeah. guards how that can then be used to i guess get what you want in a sense or, 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 to, yeah. or to make you survive and thrive within the environment and i think that really comes to play mm. um for in andy's favor after he almost dies um, when he gets the the crack kicked out of him by the sisters yeah uh, in the projection room and I then we, it, we see hadley yeah, repay that favor i found it interesting that hadley like beat the crap out of what was his name boggs boggs yeah to the point where he's a paraplegic mm. because i i agree with what you're saying yeah that his um, skills gave him a certain level of, of power and protection and mm. things like that. But I kind of, I still found it a little bit surprising that a guard would go out of his way to, to paralyze someone. Well, we've already seen Boggs kill someone in the first few minutes of the film. Oh, you mean, no, ha- no, you mean, Boggs. oh, sorry, not Boggs, um, uh, Hadley. Oh, yeah. No, I get that yeah. because that was him asserting his own dominance. Yeah. But, for his own purposes. Yeah. But I don't entirely get... And I I, I get why Hadley would beat up Boggs. Mm. Because, again, asserting his own power dominance, you don't screw with my people mm. or I'll screw with you. But I just found it surprising to the, that he was so injured to the point where he was paralysed and spent in the... What is it said in the narration? He spends the rest of his life sucking his lunch through a straw. It might not have been, like, a deliberate, like, mm. I'm going to make this guy a paraplegic. It could have just been like, I'm just going to beat the shit out of him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. Had Hadley's just anger management problems. Well, it feeds, into, dude. it feeds into the fact that Hadley is just a psychopath who has got mm. free reign to be as violent as he wishes. Yeah. Uh, and with no consequence. You know, we, we again, we see him kill someone at the start of the film and there yeah. is no consequence of that action. Um, very much um, a useful tool for the prison warden, Mr. Norton, who yeah. is so good. Uh, I love the way Norton is both portrayed and written, and he's a fantastic villain. Because have you ever seen that? Have you seen Patch Adams? Um, yes, years ago. Because he's in Patch Adams. Yes. he's the the head of the hospital or mm. something that Patch goes and works at, and yeah. he, he's that kind of character as well. Except you know, a couple of notches down, not quite so evil. Mm. Um, and he's so good in that too. But yeah, that balance between you know Norton's very controlled, um, mm. well, well, control of everything that's going yeah. on around him, uh, and then Hadley just being let loose with something that you know the prisoners really respect slash fear, which is mm. uh, unmitigated violence. Um, it's it's just such a wonderful balancing act and the performances are fantastic and I, I also really love the way that Norton's ethos is completely built around the the use of the Bible and trying to sort of justify his viewpoints by saying, well, these particular sections of the Bible justify that. You know, like many people, the last mm. um, it, it's the last refuge of the scoundrel is the yeah. people who lean on very specific passages from certain texts. Yeah. 
And I just loved how that was portrayed in this film. I love how it all just sort of comes to bite him in the ass in the end. Oh, so yeah, nice that, that is, it is, it is quite, it's, it warms the heart. Hmm. But it warms the heart because he was such a good villain. It's just one of those things where if you've got if you've got such a good villain, then you absolutely you want to see that come up and get. Yeah. And when when they when the, when it, well, yeah, when he when he ends up shooting himself on the head because his entire criminal empire yeah, syndicate has come crumbling. falling down, and you're like, yes, he's he's got his comeuppance, or he's you know he's been he's been basically played by yeah. by Andy. Um, that that just comes down to the fact that the the performance yeah. was so good and. Uh, Bob Gunton, who who played him, was just brilliant. Yeah, I kind of wanted to bring uh, to talk about that about him shooting himself. That's kind of an example I find where yes, this is uh, talking about the grittiness of it. I'd say yes, this is a gritty film, but I would say for the nineties, I wouldn't mm. call it a gritty film now. And I think him shooting him in the head, shooting himself in the head, is kind of an example of that. If, if this film was made now, we would see brains and bone and blood galore on that window behind him. Hmm. Whereas we saw some splatter, but I noticed how just as he pulled the trigger, the, the edit was there. Yeah. So it, it's like you, you saw it, but there's almost a split second where it was taken out. And I just that—that's what I felt throughout the entire film. Yes, it was gritty, but it was just slightly, slightly sanitized. It wasn't gratuitous. Yes, mm. and like all the all the like unfortunate elements are there, but it doesn't like have to like linger on it or mm. just shove your face in it, which is quite pleased about because yeah. it um, does it makes it easier to watch well also it doesn't need to it, it's doing that classic mm. um trick that was used by by hitchcock and so many yeah. other filmmakers to basically go yeah you can imagine it yeah all you need is the 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 few supplies to the fertile imagination to make it just go i can mm. build this picture in my head and it's worse than anything yeah. that can be depicted on i film. think in terms of need it depends on what you think your the purpose of of film is yeah whether it's which i think nowadays people do kind of take rightly or wrongly um do kind of take a bit of a an activist stance with film like art can be used to push a, a political agenda um and like i said sometimes that's for a very good reason sometimes it feels a bit tacked on but whatever or some some people don't mm-hmm. enjoy that um yeah and i guess i feel it's it's not if it had an agenda, which was maybe to prove how bad prisons are, mm. um, it would be more gratuitous because you mm. want to take people out of that comfort zone. Yeah, I, I think Whereas it's here. Also... I think it's more. It's for entertainment, well, maybe not entertainment, but focusing on what you were saying before, mm. focusing on hope yeah. and the fact that humanity can still thrive. Yeah, and for example, um, the film is very much. It doesn't try to pretend that bad things don't happen. When mm. when he uh, Andy first gets raped, we don't see it. The, the most we get is like him being like pinned down by a few guys and the sound of like a belt being unbuckled, and yeah. that's kind of all the all that you get. And then the camera pulls back as though the camera is hiding. Yeah. And you have Morgan Freeman's voiceover basically saying, you know, I'd like to say that he did a good fight, but this isn't a fairy yeah, tale. Yeah, and it didn't happen to him. And but yeah. again, I feel that like that fits stylistically with the fact that what they're yeah. trying to showcase is something that is more hopeful. But you need, you, you can't hide away from that's there. I, I really feel it's interesting looking at that depiction of 
male rape as as compared to something like Deliverance, where mm. it's on camera yeah. and the entire sequence is is captured and yeah. shown, um, not pornographically, but 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 is shown for for what it is, mm. and they're both they're both effective ways of communicating what has happened but the message of what deliverance is yeah. is very different from the message of something like um shawshank redemption mm. and it, it also it's got redemption in the title yeah. like this is it, 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 the whole film is pre- is premised around that idea that there will be a redeeming factor there will be some light at the end of your half mile shit pipe it's 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 very much um, kind of tied into that, but I do yeah. think it is it is very fascinating how those particular tricks are used, like with the the suicide with the yeah. headshot. Uh, yeah, I was thinking how like effective without needing to be gratuitous is because like you asked me what can we expect, and like literally the only thing I could remember at that point in time in this film was like the sisters trying to rape him, mm. and even though we don't never see like the most like gratuitous like rape scenes that that's just stuck in my head from potentially 10 years ago mm. um but that's that's part that's because it's it is still it, quite memorable it's memorable yeah. it's important it's also because we don't traditionally see a lot of male rape mm. in terms of males mm. being raped in film generally um yeah. certainly compared to to female rape and uh, that is probably partly why this stood out um and also to to segue i think one of the other reasons why this film stands in the memory is because this is a real sort of standout performance from morgan freeman mm. uh, as red he's was he was morgan freeman famous <clears throat> by this point so his big breakout role yeah. was driving miss daisy which oh, okay. obviously was was quite a big important film in launching quite a few careers how long ago how, how... that was 5 6 years before oh, okay. shawshank um, and he was also in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, <laughs> um, and he had an appearance in Unforgiven as well, um, which yeah. was before this. But so he he was he was making his name, yeah. and he was certainly a a well known actor. But I feel as though this film really is what catapulted him into the the Morgan Freeman we all know as this this yeah. big actor, and specifically as a narrator. This is the first yeah. thing he did narration I think- in. I was trying to think of it. I can't actually remember the first Morgan Freeman film I have saw, like, ever. I always seem to have this memory of him as a narrator. Mm. I think it's maybe... Maybe I got it off, like, Simpsons or something. Mm. I think the first film yeah. I saw him in was Bruce Almighty. That was... That's, mm. like, the first thing that I was thinking of. Yeah. Like, kind of... I think, I think that might have been as well. But I was very aware of him before that as well, mm. though. So this I'm like... Is... Well, but the, I mean, it's yeah. it's probably because of this film, though, because his performance is 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 pretty stellar. Mm. And like, of course, he's the guy that everyone goes to to get stuff. He's just so affable. He's just yeah. so he's so likable. He's so sort of just just very charming. Obviously, mm. in a prison environment, maybe that's a little easier to achieve with some effort. But, and yeah. also, but also, he's just got this he's a really interesting balance of being someone who is very world weary and beaten down and is even saying that it, it's foolish to hope, hmm. but clearly still has hope. Like he still goes to the parole meetings that we see over the course of his time in prison. And even though he's just repeating the same stuff yeah. in the hopes that it'll work, that's because it's in the hopes that it'll work. Yeah. And it's only really when he's sort of true to himself at the 40 year mark that he does get that parole. It's, it's a fascinating fascinating character and performance though i feel like 
the reason why you could potentially argue the reason why he actually gets his parole approved is 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 potentially a little bit dark is that the parole of parole board has gone oh he's got no life no hope left in him so he'll just go out and die it kind of, and, and with Brooks storyline it would it match kind up. of feels like like that's what's being suggested that mm. people you put them in prison and then when they've got no hope mm. you kick them out so hopefully they'll die nice and quick and not on your books yeah hey. then you don't have to pay for their burial yeah um I mean uh, ooh. oh that's dark mm. um but yeah speaking of that I think this was the first film that really made me think about institutionalization hmm. uh, and like the effect of being in an area for such a long amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't know, previously I hadn't particularly given much thought to the life of prisoners. Yeah. Well, as, I, as in like, there was no catalyst. Well, and we as, don't socially. And yeah. uh, like, and I, I, I speak about this from a perspective, uh, dear listener, as I introduce this, is that I've worked over the last decade in conjunction with the Department of Correctional Services here mm. in Australia, um, which obviously involves prisons and stuff. And time working in those areas has made me go, you know, it, it makes you ask those questions. It makes you go, boy this is what the realities of being in prison are and you know actually getting to go and work in prisons like an actual proper yeah you know this is a prison all the time and you're here and you have to be with particular guards and you can only go in certain areas working in these prisons it it really is something that i think is largely ignored and the only times that we really discuss prison are, are ways that um norton discusses about how the taxpayer does when nandy's trying to get yeah. money for the library he says they only want more money for more walls more fences and more guards like that's literally it and I feel like that's that's true even today. Um, where it is very much true. Prison is very much viewed as let's put that problem over here, as mm. opposed to what I think the point of a prison purports to be, which is rehabilitation. Which is a bullshit word. It is a bullshit <laughs> word. <laughs> I, I give I, young I, men in ties a job. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, I agree that it's a bullshit word, but I don't think the majority of people feel that prisons are for rehabilitation no but it's because for so much of what we particularly from a media consumption Mm. uh, viewpoint prison is where the story ends prison is where the bad guy goes Mm. and that's it you know that we see them behind bars shaking their fists going i'll get you batman or whatever it is that's happened and that's it it's kind of like prison is where they go and you stop thinking about them same with yeah, crime dramas like your CSIs mm. or your murder mysteries, like yeah, midsummer murders. All of these yeah. things. Prison is an endpoint. Yeah. And then specifically when you have those prison-based dramas, it's more generally used as a setting where oh, we don't have to worry about people being decent because it's a prison. Because obviously everybody here is awful. Is and bad. There's no humanity left yeah. in them. And I think that Shawshank, what it what it did, particularly at the time it was released was really shone that light and made people think about the nature of institutions like prison. You get these texts every generation. And I feel as though that for the generation in the the 90s, Shawshank was that text. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, This film does such a good job of humanizing prisoners. Mm. Like, um, they joke that everyone's innocent in there and there's only one guilty man. And we never, like, really learn details about his crime. Like, mm. Red killed someone, but 
There's never a focus. There's no gory details. I think we it give, was his girlfriend. We get yeah, we get no nothing that would particularly make us dislike him, mm. like like that sort of detail. Um, and really, so in the end, we're just sort of bonding with these characters as people, from, like in an environment. The, yeah, and from the documentaries that I've seen, because that's all my experience of prison. Um, that's that's generally what happens. Prisoners don't want to talk about the the reason they're in. We view prison in a very particular way, and I feel mm. that Shawshank has done a really incredible job, certainly for its time, and I think still continues to do that, of showcasing that prison is maybe more than the surface level of what people think. Yeah. And I also, I think it's true that it does, you know, gloss over um, certain characters' crimes, um, like Red, because it would be harder to empathise with Red if we knew, for example, that he had, say it was his girlfriend, mm. say he'd found his girlfriend with, with a golf pro like Andy did, and yeah. but then went through and actually killed her, you would probably sit there and go, that seems... You know, that ma- makes it harder to empathise with someone. But the point of Red's story wasn't about the crime, yeah. it was about the redemption. It was about mm. the fact that he delivers that speech to the parole officer after 40 years and says i would just tell him the way that the world is and convince him to not do what he does yeah um and and at the same time we see lots of other people in the prison both prisoners and non-prisoners who are either in need of or seeking redemption um and i think that that is maybe I think it's very important to the way that the film um, is run. It's not so much about uh, prisoners bad, unless it's it's more um, it's more showcasing that the issue of how we deal with crime and punishment yeah. is a little bit more complex yeah. than bad guy go to jail, wear the jumpsuit, get released after fifty years. And I think that's something that we're still having a conversation with. I think this is. I agree with you that I think it's done that that conversation maybe. Um, a bit too, uh, a bit too black and white, um, but as a beginning, as a start of a conversation, it's it's a good start. Hmm. Um, I think now we actually start thinking about like the whole time I was thinking about this film, this documentary that I've seen called the Thirteenth, the hmm. which is um, it's available on Netflix for those who are interested. It's a very good documentary. It's basically about how the American prison system is a new form of slavery, Mm. particularly because the American prison system is so full of black young men Mm. uh, in there for minuscule reasons and Mm. in there for a very, very long time. Yeah, things like the three strikes system as well, where, you know, whatever your third crime is, you get essentially Mm. maximum punishment. So you've got people in there who like stole school supplies, like stole pencils and are in for 25 years because yeah. they had two previous like drug possession charges, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah, those sorts of things. And it looks at that. And and it, so it was quite interesting when we got to the part of the film where uh, Norton is using basically... And, and the guy points out, he's like, you're using slave labour. Mm. Um, and and that that's a, that's a real problem in the US today. Um, how much prisoners get paid or don't get paid Mm. for the labour that they do in the prisons. Mm. And I I wasn't expecting that from this film. I think in like some prisons it's like 50 cents an hour. Like it's, it's basically like, yeah, it's slave labour. It's, it's, 
designed to be like, cool, if we just arrest lots of people... But David, fit- they're paying their debt to society. Mm. That's, oh, that's oh, the they're... wage. Oh. This probably maybe isn't the forum to discuss how we deal <coughs> with uh, institutions going forward in the 21st no, century. Not. But I think that this is, like you say, the Shawshank Redemption... It's a good start. ...is a good starting point I think, to have people yeah, think about I think that. If we didn't have Shawshank, we wouldn't have had uh, Oz, the like. Oh, the TV ground, series. Yeah, the groundbreaking TV series, yeah. which I have also not watched, but I've heard lots about it. Um, apparently, that was one of the first TV shows that really showed what it was like in prison and to be in prison and what you had to deal with and things like that. Yeah. And and by, then by extension, we wouldn't have had things like Orange is the New Black. Yeah. Um, which, again, something that I haven't watched because but you're aware yeah. of it you are aware, aware that this it. is yeah. this is the current prison text yeah. you know before that it was prison break and oz mm. before that it was prisoner cell block h like you know these things have kind of always existed but again i feel as though shawshank did set did kind of pave the way yeah to go maybe it's more interesting to look at the nature of the institution as opposed to the people who inhabit them yeah you can still look at the people yeah. who inhabit them but seeing how the prison affects them, shapes them, warps them. Mm. Um, what effect that has, I think, is, is fascinating. interesting thing as well, I think, is also how prison shapes not only prisoners, but the guards. Mm. Um, I was once chatting to a, 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 a guy I know who's a he's an ex-police officer. Mm. Oh, what were we chatting about? I think it may have been something like, like the Christchurch massacre had just occurred or oh, yeah. something along those lines and he was discussing about prison sentences um and he i find it interesting that working with uh law enforcement working on law enforcement i think for some people sends them one of two ways they either go no we really need to reform or they like no we need to go tougher yeah and he was in the go tougher camp mm. um yeah and i find it yeah i just find it interesting when <clears throat> when people are faced with with power or with a loss of humanity you can you can go to those extremes yeah and and you know it's again it, it, the reason it's it's a topic that generates so much discussion mm. and is so controversial is because that there are there are perfectly valid viewpoints that are in direct opposition side, yeah. to, to to each other um you know you can look at it as going well you know if, the fact that prisoners are allowed to breathe air and eat food is ridiculous. It should be somewhere where you're punished every second of the day. Yeah. Because, you know, there's the, it, the, you know, it's there as a deterrent and it's there to go, you know, we're trying to live in a society and society needs rules. And if those rules are broken, they should be serious. And then conversely, you need to be able to go that if someone has gone there and has the opportunity to amend a tone get redemption whatever it is be rehabilitated yeah you know it's kind of like you can't just throw all your problems in a box they do have to come out eventually and Mm. figure out how to work as part of that society is it really a good idea to lock them in solitary confinement for 40 years and then expect them to be perfectly fine like leave there with a spank on the butt from the guard going thanks boss like it's yeah yeah it's 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 a very very complicated debate and i'm gonna move away from it and ask david (laughs) yeah what was your favourite part of this film? What's, like, the standout moment for you Ooh. from Shawshank? I gotta say, like, the ending is really satisfying. Mm. Um, like, I love a lot about this film. Um, but, like, the ending where everything, all the dots connect, all the loose loose ends just get tied up very neatly. 
and we have that very satisfying um, justice. Final picture. Yeah. yeah. Um, justice for the real criminals, really, mm. in the end, which is um, not traditionally the thing that happens at the end of a movie involving criminals in prison, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was good seeing that Hadley got arrested. It was good seeing that Norton was going to be arrested and essentially took the coward's way out as some yeah. would view it um and, and it's almost as if he knows that prisons aren't good places to be oh, Ooh. Yeah. well oh. i mean also life as a former prison warden in a prison probably very hard yeah <laughs> yeah he'd, he'd have a tricky time um he'd but, have to change his name yeah just a smidge uh i hear the name he could have just pretended to be andy dufresne and just slip right yeah. in uh katrina did you have a favorite moment from from shawshank just trying to think of that um Probably one of the lighter moments. I think. I think when. Oh, what's his name? The new kid, the James Dean wannabe. Oh, um, Tommy. Tommy. When he when he came in, he was so cute and sweet, and yeah, he had a good death at least. You knew he was doomed. Yeah, at least that was my sense. Was like, uh oh, we kind of like him. Well, <laughs> he's he's got twenty minutes tops, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was a very effective death scene. It was uh, very well shot and absolutely made. Like you could tell it was coming, but it was still a satisfying watch in terms of yeah. oh, the baddies are really bad, Ugh, like that kind of thing. But I also liked the moment where the guard goes to give Andy his food in solitary, and it's like the kid got a C plus average. I'm like, oh, yeah. and Aww. you can just see him do his little smile. He's like, yes, I've still. I, I wonder if he would have gone as crazy because he's, if, like, they didn't have to shoot him, for example. Say if Norton had cut his tongue out or something. Oh, sure. Stopped him, stopped, basically said, I'll go out. Or maybe had gone to Tommy and be like, I'll go out and find your wife and your kid and they won't be living anymore if you testify. There'd be other ways of silencing him um, for Andy. But I wonder if that would have, like, sent him off the rails as much. Potentially. Um, I kind of feel at that point, though, the warden is is consumed by power. Mm. But he's also very aware that that power comes with significant consequences if ever found out. It's also just a very clean, simple way. Yeah. Also, yeah, well, yeah when you don't value these people's lives, yeah. then you just go, like, you know, you see he's given Andy he's another a, month in problem. solitary yeah, straight so... afterwards. And it's kind of like, oh, he tried to escape. Four bullets, that's, that's how it works. He's just another dumb punk that yeah. that is in prison because we don't value their lives or at least norton certainly yeah. doesn't um i quite liked when jake the crow got his got his little maggot i oh, yeah. I, I like quite like that little sequence i um, loved how jake jake the crow stayed with him yeah but it was so sad that he he was like sorry jake you've got to go i can't take care of you yeah yeah it was very it was, jake jake was great um brooks is sort of mini sort of like pixar short film where he's running around in in the outside world i thought was a very effective sequence yeah. are you thinking that because he looks like the man from up he looks like the man, looks from like up. The man yeah. From yeah yeah um I, I, when he when he hung himself i was expecting it to be a whole bunch of balloons <laughs> just holding what? him in the air <laughs> but like oh. not taking him off to south america just just oh, hanging actually mm. the um, moment where you they pan up and see he had he's writing that's been scratched in and red scratched in next to it. It's like Brooks was here and so was red. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like the bit where um, they're on, the, like they're tiring the roof mm. and Annie Dufresne um, does the riskiest stupid thing by not explaining what he's saying 
and like asking the 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 psychopathic violent warden twice do you trust your wife yeah, yeah. which is a great way to antagonize someone yeah mm-hmm. uh you know particularly a hothead with a baton that he likes yeah. to use um a better way to go on about that would have been like hey do you want to keep the whole all the I money i know a way i know yeah. a way and that would not have nearly got you killed andy yeah. um possibly but, but th- th- i mean that sequence where everyone gets the beers in exchange for that and mm. they just have that moment of normality um i thought that was a really nice sequence that that was really lovely to see um and, and yeah it, it is a standout moment from a film yeah. filled with them um, and i think it kind of highlights what we've been talking about um about prisons and stuff like that the fact that this moment of normality and there's a couple of them that are sort of sprinkled throughout the movie this moment of normality is something that they should so cherish and it's like it's like it's the best day that they've had and it's because we deny that mm. like the prison system denies denies them that denies them basic humanity mm. Or at the very least, yeah. Shawshank absolutely does. Yeah. Would you guys like some trivia about the Shawshank? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Andy and Red's opening chat in the prison yard where they're throwing the baseball around took nine hours to shoot. A very, very long shot. Uh, shoot, sorry. And Morgan Freeman threw the baseball for the entire nine hours without a complaint. He then showed up for it the next day with his left arm in a sling. Yeah, not surprised. So... Why nine hours? Just, it took nine hours. I guess it's a... It's a group scene, lots of potential noise and stuff like That's, that. I'm amazed by that because I didn't notice a big lighting change in that, which mm. happens. Um, like Over I've, nine hours? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I've seen that in, in like quite a few actually big budget things like the Game of Thrones finale, the lighting changes in one scene so poorly. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I, I just didn't notice the the sun being on different sides of us anyway um trivia trivia away let continue okay stephen king never cashed his one thousand dollar check for the rights to this film several years after the movie came out king got the check framed and mailed it to the director frank darabont with a note inscribed in case you ever need bail money love steve Aww. Aww. Um, when Andy goes to the library to begin as Brooks's assistant and Brooks's crow Jake is squawking, Tim Robbins had to time his line, Hey Jake, where's Brooks? so that the crow wouldn't squawk over him, since the bird uh, could not be trained to squawk on cue. Uh, Robbins was able to time his line perfectly by learning the bird's squawking patterns, for, uh, from which the director, Frank Darabon, praised him. Wow, that's, that's dedication. I mean, yeah, of, of course you should praise him. Good work. You learned the bird. I guess he's you like, learned I, the bird I, psychology. I guess he's like, I'm not about to make this scene nine hours long as well. Yeah. Morgan's already complaining about the arm. <laughs> oh, better, better get it done. So lots lots of alternate casting options oh. um, in this film. Was Kevin Costner one? Kevin Costner was one, and we'll get to him. <gasps> wow. Um, here are some of the actors that were considered for the part of Red. Now, you're probably going to notice a certain trend between all these names. They're all black. No. They're oh. all Irish. Uh, closer. The names in question, these were all actors that were considered, were Clint Eastwood, uh-huh. Harrison Ford, uh-huh. Paul Newman, uh-huh. you know, from off the, the condiments, yeah. and Robert Redford. Okay. And they were all considered because in the original novel, Red is a middle-aged white Irishman with greying red hair. Oh. Uh, Darabont always had Morgan and Freeman in mind for the, mo- for the role because of his authoritative present demeanour and deep voice. Yeah. Um, Red's reply of, 
why is your name red maybe it's because i'm irish um about his nickname was kept in the film as a joke yeah it works the mugshot of a young-looking red that was attached to the parole papers are actually pictures of Morgan Freeman's son, Alfonso Freeman. Oh. Uh, Alfonso also had a cameo in the movie uh, as one of the people shouting, Fresh fish! Fresh fish today! We're reeling them in! So, there you so go. he was one of the seven other black guys. <laughs> you were saying there weren't... There were so few. There were so few. But also then, as we were watching the film, you went, you, you were trying to remember were prisons segregated in yeah. terms of the way that the rest of American society had been at that time. I think maybe... Because he goes, he goes in in 47. Mm. I think it may have, they may have been segregated, at least in some states, then. Yeah. But I'd imagine by the end of the film, they wouldn't have been. Yeah, by the time you get to the 60s, they're kind of like, ah, just lump them all in together. Well, I think even early 40s, sorry, early 50s, because it's in the 50s that the army, for example, gets desegregated. Right. So. The film's initial gross of $18 million could not cover the cost of the production. It did make another $10 million in the wake of its Oscar nominations, but the film was still deemed a box office failure. Oh, it did it's not probably, do well. It's probably a bit too long to be really popular. Yeah, there's also, you know, not a huge amount of explosions that you can put in yeah. the trailer. And also you can't, like, bill, bill it as a prison escape film because no, you, you don't have, like, you know, the Great Escape tunnel digging, pulling on the ropes. Yeah, like, there's none of that because that's not what the film's trying to be. But that makes it um, not commercially viable, I guess, mm. in that sense. Come see this film. It's been a man who reads books in a prison and is sad. Sometimes. Yeah, and, and really, really. <laughs> also, you, Morgan um, Freeman is there. Like, I mean, Redemption—the the fact that Redemption's in the title—if you didn't know it was a Stephen King film mm. uh, novel—you um, could maybe go, "Oh, it's just like another film about someone who finds God." Yeah. In prison. Jeff Bridges, Tom Hanks, Kevin Costner, Tom Cruise, Matthew Broderick, Nicolas Cage, Johnny Depp, Charlie Sheen. Those are all names of actors that were considered for the part of Andy Dufresne. Yeah, Imagine surprised. Charlie Sheen as the face of an innocent man <laughs> just trying to... I've got the blood of a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> just trying to get out and do what's right and live a good life. Well, to be fair, this is 90s Charlie Sheen. Before, before he's had yeah. massive amounts of before drugs we knew. that have like, fried his brain. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so he was... He was you know, entirely capable. Mm. And we got back then. we got Nicolas Cage in Con Air, so we've seen yeah. him in his prison <laughs> drama. I feel like Nicolas, Nicolas Cage, Cage could have could have. I think Nicolas Cage would have been interesting. Mm. Um, oh no, but like, okay, one, Nicolas Cage is totally a competent actor. He has like an Oscar. Yeah. But two, you know how we were talking about how like he gets a little bit too intense in moments. Yeah. yeah. True, Imagine if Nicolas Cage is like, I've yeah. just come out two months of solitary. <laughs> We make love under a tree. <laughs> I've hidden something there for you. You should find it. I feel like then that if it was Nicolas Cage, it would have been a letter confessing to killing his wife. <laughs> yeah. Um, I framed, I, I, may, I managed to convince Elmo to do it myself. And mm. yep, I actually killed. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks uh, turned down the role because he was uh, committed to Forrest Gump at this time. Mm. Uh, Kevin Cosner liked the script, but was uh, currently involved in the filming of Waterworld. <laughs> Another great financial success. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you 
you can go there back was, six or seven episodes. <laughs> there wasn't enough hitting women with oars. Yeah. So he was like, nah, no, no I mean, deal. in fairness, there were only like two women with speaking roles in this film. But mm. I, I suppose that's always an interesting point when you've got a film that is, is set in a male prison, uh, particularly in the time period. Was there two? Yeah. What were the there two? Was... There was the lady on the parole board who I think oh. had a line. No. Did you? No, she didn't. Maybe she, she didn't. was just there. There's not. There's a lady in a grocery store. There was the lady in the grocery oh, store. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yes, there is the two. banker lady. The, yes, there yeah, we go. Uh, there's there's three. No, yes, you're right. Two. two women that speak. Three women at the very least that we see. We see a couple of others like opening up the prison boarding house for yeah. Brooks and for Red. I think all up in terms of seeing, there's about ten women. Yeah. And obviously, Rita Hayworth. Yeah. Um, Does not pass the Bechdel test. Mm. No. Neither Anti- of the anti-feminist yeah, film. The, the posters of Rita Hayworth It'd be and hard. <laughs> Marilyn Monroe weren't talking to each other at any point <laughs> about something other than how handsome the man that's digging the hole yeah, behind like, is. So, how, how big's the hole behind your poster? <laughs> okay. Um, one thing, like, this film is really good. And I love so many elements of it. I was just thinking, oh, there's so many, like, well-thought-out moments. But the one thing that, like, still bugs me is how did he put the poster down behind him? Like... He could have just lifted up the bottom. Because how how he was already chipping away. He was hiding behind the poster. It's a tunnel. So maybe, like, they if they moved past it, maybe they would have accidentally, like, brushed some wind. Like, I feel like... Well, he was just hoping for no breeze. Yeah. But there was a storm. There would have been a breeze. That's a good point. Yeah. Maybe someone... Yeah, and the poster was perfectly flat. Maybe that's what the six foot of rope was for. It was just so that he could, like, hook it back at the last minute and all the blue tags. I literally... I was was thinking about that, though, when when they got to that sequence. I'm like, Mm. yeah, how's the poster back nice and flat? Mm. Movie magic. Maybe it was God. Yeah, God's in Morgan Freeman was in the other cell. We've already established (laughs) this. Uh, John Favreau auditioned for the role... Of Fat Ass. Uh, he later told Empire Magazine that it was the worst audition he ever did and it encouraged him to try and lose weight. I don't know who that is. John Favreau is uh, these days known as uh, Happy from the um, the Marvel films. And oh. Also the producer of a few Disney films. Yeah. He's, um, he's generally doing a lot more work behind the camera, but he is he's Happy, yeah. Happy Hogan in the Iron yeah. Man films. He did um, Jungle Book. Yes, that was one of his... Uh, and I think he's done more another of the live-action Disney yeah. produced. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. 20, 25 years back, uh, this was kind of a wake-up call for him to to put down a sandwich here and there. Um, he's like... No, I'm not going to... fat. No, actually, I'm just going to leave that there. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know what he looked like 20 years ago. Maybe he looks this way not because like, yeah, maybe he this... failed at losing weight. Maybe he's just aged. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, that happens. It does. Despite being widely considered as one of the greatest movies of all time, this film did not receive a single Oscar win. It was nominated for seven, including Best Picture, but didn't win a thing. I feel like, I feel like that's fair. I feel like there's not like yes, it's a good film, and it's obviously brought up a lot of discussion, which is always great. Um, but I feel like there's not enough uh, light and shade in it. I yeah I feel like it's I, I if it, I think if it was to be nominated for anything it'd be for screenwriting yeah. I would argue it's it, it, I mean the main thing that this film gets talked about in terms of awards is the fact that it it lost out on the best picture nod mm. to Forrest Gump and yeah. having watched both now quite recently 
I think this is a better film than Forrest Gump. They're, they're doing mm. they're doing very different things. Yeah. And I think it depends very much on what you're in the mood for. But in, in terms of, like, as an overall yeah. film, particularly looking at them both 25 years on, I think Shawshank stands that test of time a bit better. I think looking at the two films, though, I'm not surprised that Forrest Gump won. Frank Darabont decided to not have the deleted scenes on the DVD release of the film because he is embarrassed by them and oh. doesn't want them seen publicly. Oh. The opera song that Andy Dufresne plays over the loudspeakers is... Canzonetta Solaria from Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. Mm. It was Tim Robbins' idea for Andy to turn the volume up uh, when protesting against yeah. uh, Norton. It's uh, cute. It was very cheeky. Yeah. yeah. I quite liked it. I just loved that little smile that he had on his face when he did that. He's just like, I know I'm going to get the shit beaten out of me for this, but it is worth it. Rob Reiner loved Frank Darabon's script so much that he offered $2.5 million for the rights to the script so that he mm. could direct it. Uh, he wanted to have Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise playing Red and Andy, respectively. Oh, that would have been awful. Mm. Just Harrison Ford sounding kind of bored in, in his... Uh, it's like, that's the first time I saw... Oh, what was his name? Andy Dufresne. Yeah, kind of just like mm-hmm. slow grumble he's got. Switch it up. Give... Wait. Give Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise the, the, the role That was Red. the first time I saw Andy yeah. Dufresne. No, sorry. I imagine Tom that impression of the wrong way around. I, I am imagining Tom Cruise with the very intense stare. Yeah. Mm. He yeah, he does it. That. He does it in a couple of films. Oh, he he could have done Dufresne. I just don't necessarily think that Ford would have been I feel like then Dufresne, because I think the great thing about Tim Robbins is towards the end of the film, you get that softness with him. Mm. He's like, you can tell he's been there for years. He knows he doesn't have to prove anything to everyone. He knows his place and he's going to help other people to get there mm. um whereas i don't think you could get that with tom cruise unless you break the man down true the american humane society monitored the filming of scenes involving brooks's crow during the scene where it was fed a maggot the ahs objected on grounds that it was cruel to the maggot and required that they use a maggot that had died of natural causes one was found and the scene was filmed oh my god that's like you know obama once got told off by peter for like slapping a fly away mm. that landed on his hand during an interview. Mm. Could have been a tiny drone. That's that's a legitimate concern. No, this is before president. he got into presidency, oh, so okay. drones weren't as big of a thing. Also, I like the way when you say Peter, it just sounds like this one guy yeah. who's just going around going, "Hey, hey, be nice." <laughs> yeah. Although this was the American Humane Society, mm. um, who you know, like maggots. I guess. I, I, I suppose we don't. Too. I don't remember. Not that I paid much attention, but I don't remember seeing a no animals were harmed in the making of this film. Maggot was harmed. Maybe. Mm. To prepare for his role as Andy Dufresne, Tim Robbins actually spent some time in solitary confinement. He asked for to be locked away in solitary for a while to get a feel for it, although he knew his experience wouldn't be the same because it was voluntary. Yeah. But yeah, he went a little bit method. Yeah. I can kind of understand that as much as I've spoken on this podcast before about how much I don't like method acting because I Mm. think it's dangerous and doesn't actually yield good results. um, I can understand that because it is such a uh, unique experience. Mm. Um, I I feel like prisoners of war would understand it. Um, Refugees in refugee camps would understand it. But I don't think there's many other situations 
where a human being could understand that. Like, like some people would probably joke saying, oh, I'd love that. Because then it'd be all quiet, wouldn't have people bugging me, blah, mm. blah, blah. And you're like, no, you don't actually get it. Yeah. It's just like... um, It's not that they're focusing on the solitary when yeah. they should be focusing on the confinement. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. And I think it's also like when teenagers who are possibly on the wrong side of the tracks um, start going, oh, yeah, I'd love to go to prison and be awesome. Be, I wouldn't have to do this and do and be around by all these really cool people. And you're like, you don't realise that those cool people are in there for a very particular reason mm. and they may use those very particular skills on you. Yeah. And it's not it's not nice and pleasant. And yeah. No. All the pictures in Andy's cell, except for the big posters, were hand-picked by Tim Robbins. Mm. Uh, I just thought it was a nice detail There's that he was There's some nice like, pictures in there. Yeah, he had one of Einstein, which I was like, yeah, that, that seems about right yeah. for, for the character. For the sewage tunnel sequence, Tim Robbins initially refused to immerse himself in the muddy water at the end of the pipe until after a chemical test um, had been done to check that it was safe, because the initial chemical test dubbed it as lethal. Oh, jeez. Oh. Don't you just love the fun acting conditions yeah just just reminds me of some of the comments that you guys came across for wizard of oz yeah yeah look we've moved on a bit from the wizard of oz uh yeah also they didn't try and make uh, judy garland crawl through a half a mile of shit which (laughs) would have been very a different way of getting her out of emerald city (laughs) you know they used to actually fire real bullets in um movies and then the guy who made the screen actors good was like hey Let's what if we that. use blanks? <laughs> mm. uh, you know. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Mm. Yeah. The $370,000 Andy stole from the warden in 1966 may not seem like a huge amount for a 20-year incarceration. I'd, I'd still take it, though. Yeah. It turned oh, yeah. Up. Um, but to adjust for inflation to the year 2014, Andy stole the equivalent of $2.7 million. And in Mexico, that'd, nice. go, that'd go a fair way. Hmm. And the final bit of trivia, Raquel Welsh, whose One Million Years BC poster uh, mm. plays a significant role in the film, is a big fan of the film. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Excellent. She was like, "Ah, look, it's me. Yeah. I'm in the Shawshank Redemption. I did so much. <laughs> Where's my check? Yeah. That's the, that's the last bit of trivia you have? That's the last bit I have. Oh, oh do you well, have something? I have a bit of trivia that I was, I was, I was expecting you to, like, potentially whip out the, at the end. Um, we were... Talking about like whether this film was better at this film or like it deserved an Oscar, mm. um, IMDb has a, a list of the top 100 or 250 yeah. films based on like user ratings. This is the number one film of all time, mm. according to user ratings, with like 9.4 or something mm. stars. Like mm. this is this is a lot of people's favorite film mm. a statistically unreasonable amount of people have made this 10 stars on imdb mm. um and oh. i find that like every now and then like you look at the the list um and like whatever is like most popular or recent like gets in there and then eventually like goes down after a while yeah but there's still like yeah there's still these like iconic classics that always stay in there um like number two is the godfather number mm. five is return of the king um, I don't know where Forrest number Gump... five's Return of the King. Yeah. Uh, now I know that the list is bullshit. <laughs> I don't know where Forrest Gump is. I think Forrest Gump is on the list. Uh, um, number f- oh, Return of the King got to number five. It's oh a good God. film. No, it's not. Uh, <laughs> look, fight, fight, fight. 
look, not not to say that they're wrong, but I think they're wrong. Um, <laughs> in t- just specifically within the Lord of the Rings, but obviously mm-hmm. lots of people like the return of the king yeah. and maybe they're just viewing it in the same way that the academy awards did and going mm. oh this can represent the whole trilogy yeah maybe it could be that i awards, would argue awards. i would argue to use fellowship to represent the entire mm. trilogy if you're going to represent the entire yeah. trilogy look they've got the dark knight in number three so i'm not going to complain too much because yeah, that film right. is is excellent yeah. um yeah shawshank all the way up there at number one number What's one number uh number four is the godfather part two oh. so oh i haven't seen it i can't judge Mm. Uh, completing the rest of that top 10 Pulp Fiction, Schindler's List the 1957 version of 12 Angry Men Inception mm. and Fight Club and then Fellowship is at 11 so a lot of people are doing what you say mm. Katrina Forrest Gump's at 12 oh nice, so, good Forrest Gump yeah, yeah so it may have won the awards but it's not top of IMDB and the oh. internet is forever that's the that's the real gratification yeah. oh. of the internet pedant <laughs> yeah so all that said and done, let's score the Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Let's see where it goes on our personal uh, top 50 movie lists. Um, we'll start with you, Katrina, because you are the hasn't-seen-it guest. What would you give the Shawshank Redemption out um, of 10? I think all said and done, I actually did quite enjoy it. It took me a little bit to get into it, but um, yeah, it's got a nice it's got a nice pace to it. So with all of that in mind, I'd probably give it a... Seven and a half maggots fed to a sneaky crow in your jacket pocket. Mm. Out of ten. All right. What about you, David? It's a big jacket. Ooh. Um. I like. Before filming this, is like, oh, it's two hours and twenty minutes, and then like actually sitting down and watching it doesn't feel yeah, it does super super lengthy, which is really really good. Yeah, it um, does have a good pace. Yeah, it's really well paced. There's a lot of good elements to it. I like the characters. Um. It's, there's nothing that really like annoys me or frustrates me about this film, which is good. Um, I don't want to feel... I feel like I don't want to make it like a perfect film. So like 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. Yeah. No, that's but fair. It's a, it's a good 9. It's, it's a very good 9. It's a um, very good 9. I, you I, might even call it a 9.4. Well, I mean, that's what IMDb <laughs> have done. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me... It's pretty good. Uh, it would be where I'd put it. I don't think it's cracking into my top ten of films of all time, mm. but I I certainly like it. I think it's very well put together. Um, I think it's a compelling story. I think all the performances are top-notch. I think, in a way, this kind of feels like the sort of film you would show to somebody who's never heard of the concept of film or storytelling through film yeah. and going... This is a film. This is what can be achieved. This is what the flicky, flicky pictures do to make a photo play. Yeah. Mm, yes, a motion photo Motion play. photo play. Yes, which was in the credits, yeah. which pickled us. Um, yeah, but but for me personally, it's it's good, but it didn't, it didn't grab me in the way where I'm like, I love this film. Mm. I merely just respect the fact that it's extremely well made. It's yeah. kind of like just a really good bit of whittling. Like, it's like, it's complicated. I see that you've done it well. I just don't love that bit of wood, I guess. I guess that's where I'm at. So for me, I kind of have to give it eight Rita Hayworth uh, hair flicks that get everyone excited <laughs> out of 10. Just that beautiful, wait, 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 here it comes. She does the flick. And then they're all like, Woo! I just want to watch that guilt, that Rita Hayworth film now. Yeah. Well, I'll put it on the list. Uh, but yes, um, Katrina and David, thank you very much for joining me on this episode oh. of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. You're welcome. Have we been released? Do we get parole? Uh, 
just a big old stamp that says rejected <laughs> for five minutes because I need to let you guys know as we wrap up that uh, we can be found in any number of ways. You can go to the internet. It's where IMDB is. And just next door, there's Facebook, I think. Uh, and That's can... how the internet works. Yeah, it's, it's like... like it's like a street. Yeah, yeah, IMDb, you walk out of there, they knock next door and go, Facebook, can I borrow a cup of sugar? And Facebook goes, yes, for all of your personal data. Um, <laughs> Facebook uh, is where we can be found, though. All of the Cinema Catch-Up Club's personal data is on there, and uh, you can tell us what you think about us. You can charge down our doors and go, no, you're wrong, it's the best film ever made, or go, eh, no, I agree, Forrest Gump was better. Whatever you choose, uh, just come and find us by searching for the Cinema Catch-Up Club on Facebook. We're also available on SoundCloud or iTunes or however you choose to download your podcasts. And of course, there is the Patreon there. You can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash podcast. make your own little contributions, and uh, we'll see what Red can send to you for a little bit extra. I just realised he never played the harmonica. I'm so disappointed. He played was... that one note. Did he? he? He played it in the prison cell yeah, at night. I, he, I must have completely zoned out. He, he at just that he played that one little quiet note to himself after lights out, and then that was it. I must have completely zoned out. That was the little bit of hope. Oh my god, mm. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> uh, but that's all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Bye. I'm free now. I'm free. Trina, no, put your top back on. Stop standing <laughs> in the rain. You're not Trina! Tim Robbins. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.